Amen. It's good to be back. What a beautiful day in the Metroplex. It's been good to enjoy that sunshine. We'll be in Luke, or rather Ruth, sorry, Ruth chapter 3 and chapter 4 tonight as we finish up our short romp through the book of, of Ruth. Um, and if you've been with us, so continuation, we were in Judges for quite a while and now in Ruth, and they fit together because the author of Ruth tells us this story, verse 1 of the book, happened in the time of the Judges. And that was not a, a stellar time for the nation of Israel, either in terms of their national strength. It was the time of the Judges, not a lot of cohesion, very tribal, uh, not a strong time economically, certainly not a strong time spiritually or morally, as we saw in the final chapters of the book of Judges. But in the middle of that darkness, there is, there, well, not just this. I'm sure there are gleaming ray, rays of light. This is certainly one of them. Um, the book of Judges, the story of Ruth and Naomi, uh, the story of Judges is a story of God doing astounding things, miraculous things, signs and wonders with very fallible people. The book of Ruth, uh, you don't really see God doing things that you would point to and say, that's a miracle. That's God at work in any kind of obvious sort of way. And so it's God working in the mundane, in the quiet ways, but using some really good people. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. Um, so we've met Naomi, and we've met Ruth, women of character who chose to journey together in a very intimate sort of way, a deep friendship. They are mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, but they are more than that. They are soul sisters. And last week we met Boaz, a man who is a blood relation to Naomi, a wealthy landowner around the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, of course, we said means house of. House of, this is where you say Bethlehem is house of bread house of bread and of course we know in the future somewhere down the line of generations the bread of life Jesus will be born in the house of bread at Bethlehem uh, so thank you over there um, this matters in the story this blood connection between Naomi and Boaz it matters a great deal especially as we move on in the story because Naomi has no heir her husband Elimelech has died in Moab her sons have died in Moab. She was left only with her daughters-in-law, who were both Moabite women, foreign women, pagan women. And so she has no one to rightfully pass her family's name and her property down to. Okay? So tonight we're going to see a surprising story that God rescues her story. God redeems Naomi's story. And what's really cool in the end of the book of Ruth is how her story, the story of these two ladies, how this, in a very important way, connects to our story in Christ. And before we jump back into the text, I want to be clear about something. Just because we're not seeing obvious, heart-pounding signs and wonders, uh, the dramatic kinds of things we saw in the book of Judges, that doesn't mean we don't see God at work. In fact, really, beginning to end in the book of Ruth, God is all over this story. God 
broke the famine that had forced the family of Naomi and Elimelech off to Moab. Um, Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So God ended the famine there in Judea. The Lord was at work. In chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi praises God when, Noah, when Boaz enters into the story. Um, she sees Boaz as quite literally a God-send. Uh, this wealthy landowner who is a a, a kinsman redeemer, a relative of hers. This is providence. This is God intervening in her story. So he is at work there. And it is God who puts Boaz and Ruth together. Uh, it is God who leads Ruth to his fields. And, and actually, Boaz is going to recognize that and talk about how kind God has been by sending Ruth into his life. So God is everywhere. God is everywhere in this story, certainly in uh, the future uh, that's going to come to us through Ruth and Boaz. Um, but it's kind of funny. And this is what I was thinking this week. Kind of funny, kind of sad, but it's just the way it is. That in the daily rhythm of life, the monotony of life, when nothing big, either terribly bad or terribly good is happening, it's kind of funny, it's kind of sad, how it is difficult for us to see God's hand. Are you with me? Like five years later, you're looking back. Okay, ten years later, you look back on a time in your life and you're like, wow, I can't believe what God did there. How God sent us to that place. How God sent that person into our life. How God opened up that employment opportunity. How, how God put those neighbors beside our house. How God, you know what I'm saying? Right? It's easy to look back, or much easier to look back and say, God did that. God was at work there. But what a blessing if you have eyes to see what God is doing in your life right now. He is at work in your life right now. You are his son. You are his daughter. His Holy Spirit lives in you. He is at work in your life right now. It's just kind of hard when you're in the middle of the muck in the day-to-day -day operational life. A little bit harder to step back and see his hand. Now, sometimes you have a mature brother or sister in Christ who may help you see that, and that's a blessing as well. Um, but it is, it is much easier to see in the distance than it is to see in the moment. And I wish it wasn't that way, but it just kind of seems to be that way. Um, when there's a car accident, when there's a pink slip, when there's uh, a fight with a teenage daughter or a teenage son, when there's a, you name it, in the flow of life, sometimes it's hard to see what the Lord is up to. And that's okay. That's okay. It's okay because we walk by faith, not by sight. It's okay because we are people of faith. It's okay because we trust in things that we don't see. Faith is the assurance of things you can't see. Um, so we are blessed when we do get to see. When we can point to something and say, yesterday God did this. And that happens from time to time. We're blessed when that happens right in front of us. Um, those are precious moments. And we want to be watchful and thankful for those moments. In the story of Naomi and Ruth, we get a chance to watch 
God operate in real time in every twist and turn. Um, we see him work in their tragedy. I mean, these ladies had said goodbye to some very, very dear people. Naomi to her sons, Naomi to her husband, Ruth to her husband, Ruth to her father-in-law. I mean, they had said good, they had mourned together. Um, they had seen God work in those tragic moments, uh, in moments of heartbreak. They had seen God work in this turnaround when they go back to Bethlehem and things begin to brighten up for them. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will enable us that he will give us sight. We talked about sight this morning, didn't we, in John chapter 9. That the Spirit will give us sight so that we can see hope in the twists and turns of our situations and perceive that God is at work even when it's not something miraculous, let's say, that you can point to. Um, last week, where we left off, Ruth had started working in the fields of this man named Boaz. She, personally, blood connection, did not have a connection to Boaz, was not directly related, um, that she was aware of, okay? She was through Naomi, we know that. The law provided, we talked about this a little bit last week, for the poor to kind of do a mop-up operation between, behind the harvesters. Once a field had been harvested, you know, they weren't using the technology we're using, the equipment we're using. There would be some stuff left behind that was edible, that was usable. And so God actually provided in the book of Deuteronomy um, the possibility for people, poor people, destitute people, to kind of come in afterwards and pick up the scraps. And that is what... Uh, that's what Ruth is doing because she and Naomi are quite poor at this point. They don't have any man, any male provider in their home at this point. So they're collecting or she's collecting these surplus scraps. And now remember, okay, <laughs> the law says they can do this. In the time of the judges, do you think everybody is following the law of God? Okay. Uh-uh. No, we just read the book of Judges. It is wheels off. Last verse of the book says everybody did what they wanted. Everybody did as they saw fit. So just because God's law says she can do it, you can't assume that that is a safe and normal thing. But that's what makes Boaz so important. He's a guy who follows God's law. He's a guy who loves the Lord. He's a guy who allows the poor to, to glean in his fields after his harvesters have worked. Boaz isn't like everyone else. He has a heart for God, uh, a tender heart also, as we see, for those in need. Um, so Boaz noticed her. Um, as a guy, I've got to think he noticed that she was kind of attractive. Okay, doesn't say that, but he noticed her. Uh, I think she was attractive, caught his eye in that way as well. Um, the foreman knew a little bit more about her, proclaimed, yeah, she's, she's the Moabite woman who came into town with Naomi a while back. Um, by the way, it, it is hard not to miss this. As you go through the book of Ruth, how many times does the author of Ruth Ruth have to tell us she is a Moabite. She is from, from Moab all the time. I mean, like once is not enough. The Bible wants to remind us she is an outsider. She is a foreigner. 
Okay? Um, Moab is not a part of Israel. Moab is not a BFF of Israel. Moab is not a, a neighbor of Israel who they're just real chummy together. Speaking of the law, the law actually prohibits, names Moabites and says they can't worship in the temple or the tabernacle. They're not allowed. Ammonites and Moabites. Deuteronomy chapter 23. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter into the assembly of the Lord even down to the tenth generation. So, mark, asterisk, not good to be a Moabite. You're not welcome here is, is kind of the default. Po- now, that's not seen anywhere in her story, to be fair. People are very warm and welcoming to Ruth, but they had every reason not to be. Okay? Um, she is a Moabite, and this detail, like I said, very seems to be intentional, is, is brought up by the author of the book of Ruth. Uh, But Boaz has taken notice of her and has communicated to her personally that she will be safe. That the the young men will not bother her. She will not be harassed. She will be safe when she is on his property. She receives a meal along with uh, Boaz's workers. She is told that she can go to the same uh, watering hole, the same, you know, uh, the same water dispenser as the workman of Boaz, and as he sends her home on day one, he makes sure she gets a little extra grain. She's already collected some. He gives her some more. So he's taking care of her. And I think we've got a couple of farmers, a couple of farming people here at, at Preston Crest. The rest of us are, are probably, maybe you grew up and helped out, did some baling hay or something like that, but most of us are not really accustomed with the routine of Harvesting. Most of us would not identify ourselves as harvesters by trade. Um, but in that time, very, very normal. Most people did some harvesting. Most men did some harvesting. Most women did some harvesting. And while Ruth is not a full-time agricultural worker, uh, she is going to glean surplus crop, leftover crop, extra crop, and she's going to be able to take that home to provide food for she and Naomi. Uh, The fact that Boaz is letting her collect grain right beside the harvesting team, almost giving her like equal access to his crops. In fact, telling them, hey, he tells them, leave some sheaves behind for her to pick up. I mean, he's really going beyond the law. He is really making sure she has uh, abundance there. So he also blesses her with his words. He speaks words of blessing. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 12, he is going to bless her. Now, while Ruth began her story as an outsider, as a Moabite, her nationality is that. In her journey, she will experience an identity change. I see Christian tones here. There's almost a new creation sort of thing happening, just a radical change in who she is as a person. We saw already in chapter 1, she has gone from being a Moabite pagan worshiper to being a Yahweh worshiper. Your God will be my God. 
She considers herself an Israelite now. She's not legally, okay, according to the paperwork here and everything, but she said, your people, Naomi, will be my people. So, so God is giving her this new identity to live in, and, and Naomi has been part of that, blessing her with that, come with me, and helping her feel at home there in Bethlehem. Um, and her God is now the God of Naomi. It's, it's the God of Israel. So we left off last, last week with Naomi giving wise counsel to her good friend Ruth. You had a great day in the fields of Boaz. No need to go anywhere else. You don't need to worry about wearing out your welcome there. Keep going back. Going back to the fields of Boaz, I believe that Naomi can see in the mundane details, God is doing something here. And I wanna, what I want to do now is we're just going to read chapter 3. So let's just read that together. I'll put it up on the screen. One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours. He's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. She's going to get very specific. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath. Don't take that personally, Ruth, but okay. Take a bath. Put on perfume. Dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor... But don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there, and he will tell you what to do. Okay, I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking, and he was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain, and he went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight. In the morning, I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing... Then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down there until morning. By the way, that's, that's a proposal, okay? 
That's a Hebrew proposal. Um, So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was, was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Okay. Um, So Ruth, just kind of cutting to the chase, Ruth has offered herself in an intimate way to Boaz. How intimate, you ask? Don't know. But she is very obviously offering herself for marriage to Boaz. She has opened up. She has shared herself. What more could she have done? Boaz has made the decision to make her his wife. Um, But there is this hurdle, this other guy. We aren't told a whole lot about him, but in in the order of things, he would be the rightful person to potentially, or at least in front of the lot, in front of Boaz in line to marry Ruth. Um, so he needs to clear this hurdle. He wants to do everything right. Um, and I think we do need to talk just a little bit about this, and I'll, I'll apologize up front. I'm not going to satisfy anybody with my explanation, but I'm going to talk a little bit about what exactly happened because there are legitimate questions that night at the threshing floor what went on? Um, Ruth, we know what, what we're told, and I believe in going with the text. What the text says, you say. What the text doesn't say, we don't know. The text tells us she got bathed, she perfumed her body, she dressed up as nicely as she could. The text tells us that she snuck in, I mean, right? I mean, sneaks in, wait till he goes to sleep, go and kind of crawl in bed with him uncover his feet. So we know that. Um, We know that she remained near Boaz, but in the shadows throughout the evening as he's eating and he's drinking, exhausted from a hard day's night, he just kind of falls exhausted there and sleeps there on the threshing floor. At some point, as we're told, she comes in, she uncovers his feet and, and slips in. Now, uncovering the feet. I am not an expert in Hebrew. It may very well mean she uncovered the feet, lay down there with his feet. I'm told it can be a euphemism for something more. Um, But the text says in the middle of the night, this is what it says for sure, that Boaz was startled by Ruth. And this word, the, the root word here for startled, is the same word we get, oddly enough, for Samson's story when he when he grabs onto those columns in the temple of Dagon. Same root word. So probably she is initiating some sort of physical contact here in the middle of the night, hugging him, grabbing onto him. Um, but she's, it, whatever it is, he's like, whoa! You know, he is startled. 
What's going on? Who is this? And the text tells us that. So it seems that, that he's awakened by her initiating some sort of physical contact. Uh, we don't know what that was. Don't know what that was. And then there's the strange line, right? I mean, you had to catch it in Ruth 3-4 when Ruth is about to leave the house and Naomi says, don't worry, he'll tell you everything you need to do. There's that line. So, the million-dollar question, <laughs> what happened that night between Ruth and Boaz? Don't know. Don't know. Beyond what we're told? Don't know. I got in trouble one time when I was teaching this text for even raising the question, but I don't think I'm raising the question. I think the text raises the question. I think it tells us a little bit, but it doesn't satisfy us by telling us everything that happened. So, don't know. Completely platonic. That's what I think we would like to believe. Um, uncovered his feet, lay there. Um, we, you know, kind of a marriage thing happens there, and sure, I'll marry you. Uh, that, what, whatever, whatever your theory on what happened there, it's clear they are essentially engaged. Okay, for all practical purposes, the following morning they are engaged, and Boaz needs to finalize this, needs to legalize this by clearing the last potential kind of legal sort of obstacle there and, and claiming um, his position as her kinsman redeemer. So, you are probably not satisfied? Great. That means I did a good job. Because I don't think the text satisfies. I think it kind of raises questions. Kind of makes, makes us think. So the next morning, Boaz heads to town, heads to Bethlehem to seal the deal. Interesting description in chapter 4. I mean, people who are, who are intrigued with legal, there are actually books written about this kind of thing, legal maneuvers of the ancient Semite cultures and how contracts were done. And there were different things. At one time, one man would literally put his hand inside the hip of the other man or inside the thigh of the other man to seal a deal. At this time, it's evolved to you trade sandals with the person you're doing a deal with. Um, but those are all interesting questions. Um, chapter 4, they're going to trade sandals at the end of this deal. Um, don't have time to get into all of those kind of legal uh, maneuverings of the ancient uh, Israelite culture, but suffice to say, at the end, all parties, or the two parties, are in agreement, obstacles cleared, Boaz can marry Ruth. The other man, he can't, <laughs> he can't take on an additional wife. It's going to complicate things. He already has heirs, we're told that, and that's going to complicate potentially the situation with his heirs to his property. So he's like, ah, no. You can, Boaz, you, you can marry her. And the village elders are there at Bethlehem, and they're all, so it's been duly witnessed, and they trade the sandal, and it's done. Um, so, Ruth and Boaz become man and wife. The village elders, it's really beautiful because we were, we were reminded constantly that she is an outsider, she is a Moabite, but the village elders of Bethlehem are going to speak beautiful words of blessing over her and over this union. Uh, they pray and wish that she will be to Boaz like Rachel and Leah were to Jacob. That, she, that they will have descendants together. That those descendants will be key figures in the history of Israel. That's cool. That's really cool. So they get married, and shortly after they are expecting... Uh, a baby boy is born there in Bethlehem, and his name is Obed. 
Naomi, Grandma Naomi, is full of joy in her old age, bouncing this baby on her knee, all the village women gathering around her. Uh, she is no longer Mara, bitter. She's back to being Naomi, sweet. She cares for this baby. She helps Ruth with those duties. And there is just incredible joy, abundance at the end of this story for these two women and for this old former bachelor named Boaz. Now, the twist. And it's good. An incredible, truly incredible twist at the end of this story. Because Obed, this baby boy, he is going to grow up, he is going to get married, and he is going to have a son named Jesse. Jesse, baby Jesse is going to grow up, baby Jesse is going to get married, and he is going to have a son, one of many sons, but one of his sons will be named David. Yes, that David. So... It just kind of sends chills up my spine to think about how God is working in the story because this Moabite woman, Ruth, is she becomes the great-grandmother of King David. The line that we are told in the prophecies of the Old Testament, the kingly line that will last forever, starts right here. It goes through Ruth's womb. David, of course, is the first in the line from which Jesus will come. Uh, one day, a new baby, a new king, Jesus, will be born in the town of Bethlehem. And this is interesting, just to kind of finish this up as we wrap up. Uh, as you flip into the first chapter of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, Ruth is there, um, which is pretty great. So she is in this genealogy that Matthew records leading up to Jesus. And it's interesting because it, it is a rare thing for a woman to be included in a Hebrew genealogy. She must be of some importance to be included. Uh, and there she is, right in the middle of the book of Matthew, the first chapter. Now, the last word tonight, God was at work in the everyday. He was moving things around in the mundane, quiet details of Naomi's life, Ruth's life, Boaz's life. But he works in all these small ways that end up adding up to something Colossal, right? I mean, the Messiah, the Savior, God in human flesh is going to be a result of this story some generations down the line. And again, I'm just going to repeat as we close out the same thing I said earlier. My prayer when I see this story, it is so moving to me, and I love being able to look back. And see things 10, 15, 20 years ago and say, wow, that was God. And look how God put us together and how God opened this opportunity. But my prayer is that the Spirit will allow us from time to time to see right now what God is up to. I think it is easier, and this is one of the ironies 
of reading stories like the story of Ruth and Naomi, one of the ironies is it is easier for you and I in the year 2018 to see God at work in their story than it was for them to see God at work in their story. They didn't know Jesus was going to come through Ruth. They didn't know the Son of God would be born to one of her descendants. So sometimes hindsight is 2020, but what a beautiful thing it is to appreciate God orchestrating the details of our lives. Let's pray together and, and then we'll worship. God, we love watching you work. Father, whether it is something miraculous and bold and jaw-dropping like what we saw this morning in John chapter 9 where a blind man from birth was healed by the power of Jesus, or whether it's in the details of two women who shared a deep and beautiful friendship and a bachelor late in life who finally finds love and how you weave this into your story of our redemption. It's amazing. And God, I thank you for being at work in your church. We see that in so many ways. Right now, we're watching it unfold in a distant part of the country as, as we're able to care for people in Florida who've been affected by the hurricane. But just the latest of so many ways that you're allowing us to participate in, in your story and to be part of your redemptive work in this world. And we are, we are so grateful for that. Spirit, I do pray that your will be done, not ours. But if you may, from time to time, open our eyes and allow us to see in just what looks ordinary, to see, no, no, you're putting it all together. If you would allow us to see that, what a, what a blessing that would be to us. We walk by faith, not by sight. We give our lives to you tonight. We pledge ourselves once again to the King who was born in Bethlehem, Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship. As we stand and sing, if you do need to take communion, it's been prepared and will be served to you in the fellowship.